John chapter 6, verses 16 through 21, starting in verse 16. When evening came, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, went down to the sea, got in a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. Then a high wind arose, and the sea began to churn. After they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. And they were willing to take him on board, and at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time that we get to gather together and spend time in your word. Father, I I believe that there's nothing more important than we can do as a body of believers than gather together under the preaching and teaching of your word. So, Father, I would ask that during this, this time that we've set aside, that, Father, you would show yourself. That, Father, your spirit would fall on this place. That, Father, we would see Christ in your word. Father, that's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know what happens when you get saved, right? The very minute that somebody gets saved, they are a fully mature Christian, right? Able to handle anything that would come your way, right? Isn't that what happens? No? (laughs) Of course that's not what happens. Of course that's not what happens. That I've I told some of y'all, I don't remember if I said it from the pulpit this morning, but we're going to be getting my grandson here in just a few hours. My daughter is bringing our grandson to us. He's going to be three in August, so he's just a little fella. Just a little fella. Yeah, three. I'm an old man to be dealing with a three-year-old. <laughs> but that boy is not mature enough to handle the things of life. Is he? When when he was a newborn, he had to be cared for every step of the way. He had to be fed, he had to be clothed, he had to be cared for, he had to be kept warm, all of those things. Do you think it's any coincidence that Jesus used the illustration in John chapter 3 of being born again (laughs) when we get saved? It's the same thing, isn't it? It's the same thing. When we, when we are saved, when we trust Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're not instantly mature. We're not, we are sanctified and we're saved forever, praise Jesus. But we're just babies. We're just brand new babies. You know, it wasn't any different for the disciples. Sometimes we like to hold the disciples up on this platform like they were, you know, like they were superheroes or something like that. But it wasn't really any different with the disciples. Just a few, just a few pages before this in the Gospel of John was when they f- started to follow Jesus. So they were brand new Christians. They were baby Christians. They were newborn babies. But Jesus didn't keep them as newborns, did he? Jesus loved them too much to keep them as newborns. Jesus purposely put the disciples, as you read through the Gospels, you see continually all these places where Jesus put the disciples in situations that would grow them, that would grow their faith. Because He didn't want to leave them 
as little three-year-olds. Three-year-olds are cute when they're three. But when a 16-year-old, or like CJ, my son, if he was to, my 18-year-old son, if he was to act like a (laughs) three-year-old, that's not going to work, is it? No, we want them to grow, and Jesus wanted his disciples to grow, so he purposely put them in tests that would test their faith, and as they passed those tests, they would grow. But also, when they failed the tests, sometimes they'd grow, wouldn't they? Like our passage this morning, this is one of those very familiar passages to us, so we've got to work extra hard to kind of step back from it and try to see it with new eyes, but I hope that we do that tonight. This passage is not only this event, is not only recorded here in John, but it's also, you can take notes on this and look back on it if you want to, we're not going to flip back and forth, but it's also found in Matthew chapter 14 and it's found in Mark chapter 6. I know you're going through Mark or have been going through Mark on Wednesday nights. So Matthew 14 and Mark 6. And what we're going to do is we'll kind of look at all of those just to kind of get a picture of what was going on, what was going on in the timeline and all of that because some of those uh, Gospels add some details that John doesn't include. But when we combine those accounts in Matthew and Mark and John, we actually see, we refer to this as the miracle of, of, of Jesus walking on the water. But when we combine all of those, we see that there are actually four miracles that took place that day. This is actually a fourfold miracle that took place. The first miracle that took place that day was when Jesus walked on the water. I don't know if you've ever tried that before. <laughs> I've been water skiing. Now, if you go fast enough on water skis and you ski as poorly as I do, and the skis come off, you don't actually walk on water. You kind of skip a few times. That's not the same thing. (laughs) Jesus wasn't skipping on the water. Skipping on the water, that's not very much fun. It hurts. (laughs) But Jesus was walking on the water. There was a man named William Barclay that wrote some commentaries back in the 50s. Very, very popular commentaries. I've heard them referred to many times. And they have some good things in them. But the only problem with William Barclay is he didn't believe in miracles. And he would try to explain away the different miracles. This miracle... What he said happened was that the disciples were really, they were in the boat and there was a storm and all of that. But they were really close to the shore. And when the storm was going on, they really couldn't see what was going on and they lost their perspective and everything. And Jesus was walking on the shore and it just looked to them (laughs) like he was walking on the water. There's a Greek word for that. It's hogwash. (laughs) Because Jesus was walking on the water. Okay? Let's just get that out of the way. The one who created, who spoke creation into existence, the one who created that water in the first place, was walking on it. The one who created the laws of gravity and the laws of buoyancy and all of those things that I didn't understand in science class, the one who created those was defying them. Jesus walked on the water. It was a real miracle. That was the first miracle that happened that that day there in the water. Not only did Jesus walk on water, Matthew records that Jesus called Peter out of the boat to walk on the water too. He said, uh, Peter said, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. 
And Peter got out of the boat. And you know the story. As long as Peter kept his eyes on Jesus, kept his eyes where they were supposed to be, he was able to walk on the water just like Jesus was. And then when he took his eyes off, but he sank. He sank. But that was the second miracle that happened. When Peter got out of the boat, I think it's a miracle that he got out of the boat in the first place, but it was a miracle when he walked on the water. So Jesus walked on the water. That was the first miracle. Peter walked on the water. That was the second miracle. Matthew and Mark both record the third miracle. The third miracle, when Jesus and Peter got back into the boat, the wind immediately stopped. And the word immediately, it literally means immediately. It was right now. It went from just torrential storm to nothing. To glass. Just immediately like that. Listen to how Mark describes it in Mark 6.51. Then he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded. You don't get completely astounded if it just kind of dies down, do you? No, it immediately stopped. From gale force winds to glass seas. That was the third miracle. But one more miracle happened too, and John is the only one to record this miracle. We just read it in verse 21. Verse 21, look at it again. It says, they were willing to take him into the boat and what? At once. The boat was at the shore where they were heading. Immediately. For you Star Trek fans in here, it was more immediately than a transporter beam. (laughs) It got them there Immediately, not speedboat fast, it got them there. They were here one, one moment and they were there in the next moment. Remember how far verse 19 says that they had rowed. They had rowed in that boat for three or four miles. The disciples had probably been rowing most of the night into a horrible head, headwind. It was probably about nine hours that they were rowing into that headwind and they'd only gotten about halfway across the water and then all of a sudden when Jesus... And Peter get in the boat. It was where they were supposed to be. They didn't have to row anymore because they were immediately where they were going. That was another obvious miracle. Four in a row. A fourfold miracle. Amazing. Unexplainable. Unmistakable. Unrequested miracles. Nobody asked for those, did they? But that fourfold miracle. Unexplainable happened question is why? why why would jesus do that why would he why would he go through all of that it wasn't like there was a crowd of people watching the people were gone the people from the feeding the five they were gone it wasn't like there was a a, a people a, a bunch of unbelievers around that he was trying to convince of who he was the only unbeliever there was judas and he wasn't going to believe no matter what jesus did The other 11 in the boat were already believers. So if Jesus wasn't trying to convince anybody to believe that this wasn't evangelistic, then why in the world would He perform this great sign? Why would He do this fourfold miracle? He did it because He knew that His disciples were just babies. He knew that they needed to grow in their faith. In Mark's account, when he tells of this, after he said that the disciples were completely astounded, he says they were completely astounded because they had not understood the loaves. Remember what we talked about this morning? That miracle of feeding the 5,000 says that they had not understood the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. 
They just didn't get it. They saw the miracle. They saw all that. They had just witnessed Jesus feeding probably fifteen to 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish. They were probably, remember we talked about when they gathered up the, the bread, they probably had those big bushel baskets. They were probably still carrying those with them. They wouldn't have just wasted that food, and it was more than they could have eaten there. So they probably had those baskets on the boat there with them. They had the tangible evidence of a miracle that Jesus had done, but their faith was still small. It says their hearts were hardened. Their faith was still small. And Jesus knew that their faith needed to be grown, that their faith needed to be encouraged. So Jesus encouraged their faith in the best way that faith can be encouraged. Was their faith encouraged when they were on the mountaintop, when they saw the baskets, when they saw the 5,000 being, or the, the close to 20,000 being fed? So their hearts were hardened, right? So how was Jesus going to grow their faith? grew their faith the same way that he grows our faith. You know, you can talk to people all that you want to, and you can ask the question, when has your faith grown the most? Does it grow the most in the easy times? No. Our faith grows in the difficult times. Our faith grows during the tests. So how does Jesus encourage our faith? He encourages our faith by putting us in the right place, by preparing us for the right position, and by presenting us with the right person. And that's what He did with the disciples here. First thing that Jesus did was He encouraged their faith by putting them in the right place. You think about where Jesus and the disciples had just been. They had just been on the hillside next to the Sea of Galilee, and thousands of people had just eaten their fill. And they were fat, dumb, and happy. And they were doing what most folks do when they're fat, dumb, and happy. They were just chilling out and they were loving the fact that this guy, Jesus, had just fed them. Matter of fact, in the verses between this morning's passage and tonight's passage, there's just a few verses there that said what they wanted to do with Jesus. They were so happy with Him. They were so ecstatic with Jesus feeding them like that that they wanted to forcibly make Him their king. Oh, Jesus was a rock star. And here were the disciples. They were like the drummer in the band. <laughs> they were popular. The people were loving them. They had this huge fan club. They were superstars because they were with Jesus, the one that they wanted to make king. But what did Jesus do? He ran off their fan club, didn't he? First thing he did, he ran all the people off. He told them to go home. Both Matthew and Mark say that Jesus dismissed the crowds. And then after he dismissed the crowds, he ran off the disciples. Matthew and Mark use the identical words. They say that he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him. He made them. He forced them. You leave. Get in the boat. I'm going up on the mountainside to pray. That word made is every bit as harsh as it sounds. They didn't want to go. They didn't want to leave the crowds. They didn't want to leave Jesus, certainly. Jesus ran off the fan club, and then He forced the disciples to get into a boat and head to the other side, and He made them go by themselves. How is Jesus going to grow their faith? By putting them exactly 
where he wanted them. Feeling alone, straight into the path of an oncoming horrible storm. Jesus was deliberately putting them in the exact right place at the exact right time. Do you think for a minute that the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe in flesh, Jesus Christ standing there, do you think for a minute that He didn't know that there was a storm coming? Do you think for a minute that Jesus, as soon as the disciples got out on the boat, do you think that Jesus was sitting on the shoreline going, oh, there's a storm coming. I didn't know that. What are we going to do? Do you think that? Of course not. Of course not. Jesus put the disciples in the exact right place at the exact right time where they needed to be in order to encourage and to grow their faith. He put them alone. Away from the glare of popularity. Away from all of that fame and popularity. He put them alone. And seemingly, He put them away from His presence. And He did it to grow their faith. He put them alone in a fragile boat on a horribly stormy sea to grow their faith. Now, why didn't Jesus... You remember where Jesus was going when they were doing that? Why didn't He put them up on the mountaintop with him to go pray. If I was writing a story, I'd want to volunteer for that part. (laughs) Let's go up there with you to pray. Why didn't Jesus do that? Because that's where the preparations are made. That's not where the faith is grown. The faith is grown when we're in the middle of the storm, when we're in the middle of the test. Jesus puts us in the place where we need to be To grow our faith. Now let's get real. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what situations you might be going through. But you can rest assured that Jesus has put you there. In the exact right place that you need to be. To grow your faith. There's nothing that you are, can, or will go through. That is beyond Him. And he's doing it for a purpose. Just like he did with the disciples. Jesus will encourage your faith by putting you in the right place. He'll also prepare you for the right position. Now just a minute ago when I said that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. I want us to get the right picture of that. I want us to get the right feeling of that. Make no mistake about it. They didn't want to go. (laughs) Jesus told the disciples get into the boat and I'm not going with you. They didn't want that. They wanted Jesus to be with them. But you know what? Jesus told them to. So they pitched a fit and hollered and rebelled. No. Jesus told them to do something that they didn't want to do. So they did it. They did it. In other words, Jesus commanded and they obeyed his command. And what was his command? Mark tells us that Jesus. I lost my ear. Keep fidgeting with that thing. It'll never get better. Mark told us that, and when Mark told of this, Jesus, he said that Jesus told them to get into the boat and go ahead of them, go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida. That was the only instructions that Jesus gave. But there were very clear instructions, weren't they? 
He said, get into the boat and go to the other side. There's no mistaking. <laughs> There's no saying, well, maybe he meant... you know, uh, No. It's very clear instructions. He told them exactly what he wanted them to do once they got it, to get into the boat, and he told them exactly what he wanted them to do once they got into the boat. Jesus' instructions were clear. They were concise. They were to the point. There wasn't any confusion about it. As their master, Jesus gave the disciples a clear command... And they obeyed. When did they obey? They obeyed when they got into the boat, right? They obeyed when they got into the boat even when they didn't want to. They obeyed even when Jesus didn't fully explain every step along the way that they were supposed to take. They obeyed even when, they didn't, when Jesus didn't tell them what was waiting for them on the other side. They obeyed even when Jesus didn't let them know that He was going to meet them over there. They obeyed even when they were in the middle, when they were three or four miles in, nine hours into straining at the oars. And it would have been a whole lot easier just to say, let's go back and wait till the storm's over. They obeyed and kept straining at the oars. They obeyed. They obeyed, even when it didn't make sense. They obeyed, even when it seemed like they weren't getting anywhere. They obeyed when every fiber of their beings ached with pain and frustration. They obeyed. And they kept rowing. All night long. And they weren't even halfway. But Jesus told them to go. And Jesus was their Lord and Master. So what the Lord and Master said they were going to do. Whether it made sense or not. The present where they were straining at those oars made absolutely no sense. The future was completely and totally unclear. But Jesus gave a command and they were going to obey His command no matter what. Wherever you are in your life right now, Jesus is encouraging your faith, yes, by putting you in the right place, but He's also encouraging your faith by preparing you for the right position. And that position is obeying your Lord and Master and Savior no matter what He asks you to do. He's not always, he's very rarely is He going to tell you what it's going to look like on the other side. What He's going to tell you is take this step. In this direction. And He expects us to obey. He commands you obey. No matter what the cost. No matter how hard it might be. Obey. What if He calls me to something crazy? What if He calls me to give up something that I've worked my whole life for and change directions and do something that makes no sense? What if He calls me to do something like that? Obey. Obey. What if He calls me to start a Bible study in my home for my neighbors? I don't even like my neighbors. <laughs> I do. Mr. Pendry's my neighbor. <laughs> but what if He calls you to do that? Lord, I, I don't know how... I, I don't... I, uh, uh. Obey. Obey. What if He calls me to sacrificially increase my financial giving? What if He calls me to sacrificially increase my time giving? What if He calls me to... You fill in the blank. And I can guarantee as I go through that list and I say, you fill in the blank, I can guarantee that many of us in here have a blank filled in our head. 
of something that he's calling us to do. Obey, whether it makes sense or not. Why is it called faith? <laughs> it's called faith because we don't know if we knew what it was going to look like and we knew how it was going to work out, then it wouldn't be faith. You're rarely going to be prepared for it. And you definitely won't be able to see how it's all going to turn out. But that's how your faith will grow. Take that step in that direction and go. That's how Jesus will encourage your faith. He'll put you in the right place. He'll prepare you for the right position. And he'll also present you with the right person. Jesus encourages faith by presenting you with the right person. I want you, once again, just put on your kind of imagination, uh, your thinking caps for your imagination, and I want you to picture this scene in your mind. Straining on the oars against that terrible headwind all night long. You've just got a terrible headwind in your face. The rain is pelting you in the face. And it's not a pretty scene. It's not something you'd see in, in, in the Bible movies or anything. Because if you've ever been in a driving rain, it just makes everything in your face that's inside your head come out of your head. It's just really kind of nasty. And that's where they were. They were getting all of this in their face and just straining and couldn't see and all of that kind of stuff. Matthew says that the wind was against them, which means that it was in their face the whole time. They'd been doing it for nine hours, so their muscles were throbbing and their bodies were aching from that physical exertion. And then, off in the distance, one of them notices something. A couple of the Gospels say that they thought that they saw a ghost because they see something off in the distance that's coming at them really quickly. A figure coming at them really quickly. And in their exhaustion and in their delirium, they think it's a spirit or it's a ghost or something like that. Can you imagine how you'd feel? I'd be kind of panicked too. And in their panic and in their fear, they cried out. But notice what Jesus did. As they were panicking, Jesus spoke to them. Now the text doesn't say it, I used some sanctified imagination this morning. We're going to use it again, okay? The text doesn't say it. If you've ever been in a windstorm or a, a storm like that, I've been in, in a hurricane before, and you can't hear anything, you can't see anything, so you have to scream and holler, which is easy for preachers to do, but you have to scream and holler and all that stuff just to be heard. I don't believe that Jesus was screaming and hollering. I believe that as he was coming toward the boat, I believe that he spoke and they understood him. John chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I believe that Jesus spoke. And you know what Jesus told them in a voice that I believe that they could clearly understand? He said, It is I. Don't be afraid over the den, over that horrible sounding storm, Jesus said, it is I. Don't be afraid. Now in our English translations, we see it is I. We see those three words. Those three words are a translation of two Greek words, ego ami. Ego ami. Now you have to understand that Jesus was a Jew and his disciples were Jews. When Jesus was in the public square, he would speak Aramaic, which was the language of the day. But when he was with the Jews, he would speak Hebrew. He wasn't speaking Greek. 
So when Jesus said, I am to them, He said, Yahweh. Jesus said, I am. Now, does that sound familiar? Think back to in the Old Testament, way back when Moses was standing at the burning bush. When he was standing at the burning bush and, and God had commanded Moses to, to go to Pharaoh to release, to release his people. Moses asked God, appearing in the burning bush, he asked him, who shall I tell them sent me? God said, I am. Tell them I am sent you. Yahweh. God's personal name. So as Jesus was coming across that water, He said, Yahweh, be not afraid. He said, I am, be not afraid. I am God. Don't be afraid. I am the God who created this water. I am the God who controls this wind and these seas. I am the God who created you. Don't be afraid. Notice what the disciples did in verse 21. They let him in the boat. He just revealed Himself to them as Almighty Creator God and that He was there to sustain them so they didn't need to be afraid, so they invited Him into the boat. They did what James 4.8 tells us to do. They drew near to God, so he, he drew near to them. Jesus grew their faith by presenting them with the right person. He gave them Himself. And when He gave them Himself, they invited their Creator, their Sustainer, their Lord and Master to be with them where they are. And when they were in the presence of Jesus, they were no longer afraid. There was no more turmoil. They were no longer pointlessly straining at those oars after willingly restraining, after willingly receiving their Savior and Lord and Master in the boat. They were at peace. They were at peace. So let me ask you, how is your faith this evening? Have you willingly received Jesus into your life as Lord and Master and Savior? It really doesn't matter what kind of storm you might be going through today because if you've received Him into your life, then He is there saying to you, I am God. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Only Jesus can do that. Maybe you've already received Jesus as your Lord and Master and Savior, but for some reason you're failing to obey Him in, some, in something. Let me tell you, His commands aren't complicated. He tells us to take a step, and He gives us the direction to take that step in. All He asks is to obey. All that He commands is loving obedience to what He commands. For the disciples, it was going across the Sea of Galilee, no matter what it looked like, no matter how they didn't understand. For us, for you, I don't know what it might be. But you do. You know what it might be. He's put you in the right place. He's put you in the right position. All He's asking for is simple obedience. He's put you in the right place. He's presented you with the right person to grow your faith. And He's prepared you for the right position to grow in your faith. All that you have to do is love Him Trust Him and follow Him in simple obedience. 
So that's the only question before us tonight is will you do that? Let's pray. Father, we make things so difficult sometimes. Father, we like to set your will out there like it's some sort of a complicated thing that we have to work hard to figure out. And but Father, you, you let us know. You tell us the direction to go and the steps to take. Father, the only thing that stands between us and your will is our obedience. Is obeying the direction that you call us to go. So, Father, I would ask that each of us in this place would willingly take those steps. Father, if there's one here tonight who is going through a time of straining at the oars and it seems like that they're straining with no purpose, Father, I, I would ask that you would show yourself to them. Father, that they would see that whatever trial they may be going through is not beyond you. That you're there saying, I'm God, be not afraid. Oh, Father, show yourself as the Prince of Peace. Father, give us the direction that you would have us to go. And Father, may we leave this place being obedient. In Jesus' name, amen.